It's the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. Green, gardening, and environment radio. Flavored with a dash of humor. Welcome to intelligent, irreverent talk about plants and the planet they grow on. Your questions, comments, and participation are always welcome on Facebook and Instagram at The Mike Novak Show and at Mike Now on Twitter. Good planets are hard to find. Temperate zones and tropic climes. True currents and thriving seas. Wind blowing through breathing trees. Strong ozone and safe sunshine. Well, good planets are hard to find. Good planets are in the main. Brought to you by Bartlett Tree Experts. Every tree needs a champion. Go to Bartlett.com. Jet streams, perfect air. And here they are, Peggy Malecki and Mike Nova. Good planets are in the main And good morning. Good morning. I was looking out the uh, doot doot doot, looking out my back door, and I saw the uh, downy woodpecker at the uh, suet nice. feeder. Um, and what's funny about that is, um, you know, usually there's ten thousand sparrows. And I looked out front in the front of the house at the the feeder there, and that's where the ten thousand sparrows are, and the occasional red-tailed squirrel um, on the feeder. But uh, mm-hmm. what I've noticed about the um, the uh, the downy is that the uh, the sparrows do not mess with the downy woodpecker. So when the downy woodpecker is there, the sparrows are just waiting for their turn. They're waiting till the uh, the he or she goes away, and I should be able to identify. And I haven't just haven't yet. Um, I've seen downies and uh, hummingbirds going at it. Uh, not in Jan- not in January, right? No. No, but the some of the woodpeckers do hang out on the hummingbird feeder. Aha. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, at any rate, uh, good morning, everybody. Uh, thank you, all those of you who are watching for the first or the second time. I know a number of you have subscribed uh, as I uh, started this kind of uh, campaign to raise some money for the legal fund to help save Bell Bowl Prairie. Uh, we are up to... Uh, we've gotten 162, I think, um, uh, subscribers. We're we're like we're at new 800 subscribers. New what, subscribers. New new subscribe. Yeah, if you were a subscriber, um, you know, I wish you could. Uh, uh, but it didn't cost anybody to do this. All they had to do is click a button, and I was going to get five bucks every time somebody knew there was a new subscription to Bell Bowl Prairie. And we have mm-hmm. we are now over 800 dollars that is going to the fund. And I hope to be able to take that up to $1,000. So we need, if you're watching this and you haven't subscribed to the program yet, go right over to YouTube. You can watch this on the live stream on YouTube uh, every Sunday morning from 9 to 11 a.m. And sometimes a little more because uh, Rick uh, DeMaio, our meteorologist, can get a little long-winded. And there's a lot to discuss in climate and weather. Yeah. Uh, like nor'easters that we'll be discussing. Yeah today but it doesn't cost you anything go over to the youtube channel subscribe hit that little notification bell so you know when we go live so and then uh, while you're at it go to your favorite podcast player and subscribe too that's right because we're on a bunch of them and you know what i'm 
I'd be interested in the opinion of our audience. I'm thinking of bailing on Spotify um, because it's for the same reasons that Neil Young and um, uh, and Joni Mitchell have bailed on Spotify, that uh, there's too much misinformation going out through that platform. Uh, and I'm kind of curious what people would think. I'm, I'm assuming most of the people watching right now are not – well, they're not listening to us on Spotify because the podcast doesn't go out until a couple of days after the live show. Um, but I'd be interested in what, what people think about that. Anyway, we got a great show today. We're going for a walk in the woods. Um, not literally, but figuratively. <laughs> uh, we're we're going to be talking about the great, and they are great, forest preserves of our area. Um, one of the things... That is so wonderful about Chicago is that, uh, well, certainly in Cook County, uh, people had the foresight a hundred years ago to save that land that um, that borders that that was forested and, and prairie land that uh, was going to go away. Uh, even then, folks could see the encroachment of the city, and so uh, a lot of it got saved. And now there's seventy thousand acres in the Forest Preserve District of Cook County. Um, I found out, and I didn't realize this, there's 31,000 acres in the uh, Lake County Forest Preserve District, uh, and they are the second largest in the state following only Cook County. So today we're going to feature both of those Forest Preserve Districts. Uh, We'd love your questions. We'd love your comments on places that you go that you think Mm -hmm. are fabulous. When you take a walk out in the woods, when you go out to a Forest Preserve uh, what is it that uh, you especially like? So we can pass that along to our two guests. Uh, uh, we'll get to them in just a second. But then uh, in the 10 o'clock, it, uh, we need a name for this. Uh, and that's another place our listeners can help with is what do we call yeah. that se- the segment when Peggy and I discuss science and environmentalism and gardening, just articles that come. As I said, uh, on the blog this week, I called it uh, uh, over the transom um, or through the transom. Um, but we need a segment for the when we talk about these various because there's a bunch of articles and, and I and I put the links up on my blog post. Go to MikeNovak.net, M-I-K-E-N-O-W-A-K. Dot net. Um, and uh, and we're going to discuss some of those stories. And, of course, as I mentioned, meteorologist Rick DeMaio will be here reporting on the Nor'easter, the great Nor'easter. Uh, and uh, even the six oh, or you know, that's wrong. You, you need that, that down east accent, talking about the wicked storm. Arr. Oh, that's, no, that's, that's a, pirate. That, yeah, that's pirate stuff. But, yeah, the wicked Nor'easter. Um, and even the, uh, six or seven inches that I got of snow here in, in Chicago, a lot of people in the area didn't, you got like two, um, yeah. it, it was amazing and there. It, it just, just kept snowing, uh, because it was Lake yeah. effect coming in. So, all right. That said, let us get to our guests and there they are in the lower right and lower left, uh, corners of your screen. If you're listening on the podcast, you have no idea what I'm talking about, but, uh, we have, Yanina Baki, is that <laughs> does, does that work for you for you, uh, Nina? Oh boy! Yeah, it sure right. does. Yeah. Uh, I found out that Nina, who I've known for a number of years, um, uh, her real name is Yanina. 
Um, and uh, I won't use it all the time, but I like that name. That's a, that's a great name, Nina. Um, she's the Community Outreach Coordinator for the Forest Preserves of Cook County or the Forest Preserve District of Cook County. Okay, let's settle that right now. Uh, okay. some, sometimes folks call it the Forest Preserves of Cook County. Sometimes they call it the Forest Preserve District of Cook County. What, when you're inside, what do you guys call it? The Forest Preserves. So we call, I mean, talking to the public, I would call it the Forest Preserves of Cook County. However, if we were talking about legal documentation, <laughs> it would be the Forest Preserve District of Cook County. So both yeah. are correct. And it's just a matter of which one you want to say and okay. how it's used. I want to make sure I'm... I'm well, and it's yeah. FPDCC for your website, too. Exactly, yes. It is FPDCC. A little right. confusing, I see. Well, yeah. And if you want to tweet out something and, and tag uh, the Forest Preserve District, it's the FD... Okay, uh, yeah. For FPDCC yeah. on Twitter. and LCFPD for Lake County, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and speaking of speaking of Lake County, we have Rebecca Snyder on the right side there, the Director of Community Engagement and Partnerships for the Lake County Forest Preserve District. Um, and welcome to both of you. Thank you for being on the show. Well, thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here again. Oh, well, it's great to have you. Yeah, you were with us, uh, I want to say like three years. Was it? All right. So going on three years. Uh, when we were out of the that's right. Yeah. We were on the south side at the meadery, uh, Wild Blossom Meadery, uh, thanks to uh, Audrey Fisher and Greg Fisher, who run a wonderful, wonderful business there that is right next to Dan Ryan Woods. Um, and they're getting their pollinator garden going there. And, I mean, it's the only meadery in Chicago. Uh, I think it is still the only one. Um, and if you haven't been down there, you know, Peggy, we should track down that link and put that up because people need to go down there, uh, and, and see what they're up to. It's just a lovely, lovely, uh, business. Um, and yeah, we were live there and you, you were on the show and I, I forget what we were talking about, but, uh, probably pollinators or something like that. Um, and this is the first time I've had Rebecca Snyder, uh, on the show and, and actually, Rebecca, uh, I want to start with you because you said something the other day that um, surprised me uh, uh, just a little bit. And I think your mic went off. There we go. Now it's back on. Uh, something that surprised me is we were, we were chit-chatting and setting up the, the connection here. And you talked about how wonderful it was to work for, in your case, the local government. Um, and I thought you were being sarcastic and you were not being sarcastic. You were being very real about that. So now I'm intrigued and maybe it's, I've been in media way too long and I look at government a little bit askance and I think, okay, here's bureaucracy and here's obfuscation and, and lack of transparency, um, sometimes when you're dealing with these, uh, entities. So tell me why it's, it's such a great job. Well, starting off with a really personal question, but I'm fine with that because I could I could go on and on about uh, the glories of local government. Um, I was not being sarcastic at all. It's a just a real privilege to work for the public, and I know I'm not the only one at the Lake County Forest Preserves who feels that way. Who feels that way? Um, and I'm sure Nina would say the same about working for Cook County. And previously, I think you were were with Will County. Um, 
I know it's true at my agency, and I suspect at other local government agencies, you just really have a sense that um, you have a responsibility to the public. And at our agency, we have a lot of trust and pride um, in the forest preserves. The public consistently tells us that. Um, so how could I not feel excited and passionate about that? Well, I think it's a wonderful answer, and, and, and I apologize for sucker punching you uh, at the get-go, but I didn't think you would be embarrassed by it because you were so genuine about it. And, you know, like I said, maybe I'm a little jaded. I've been uh, at, at this uh, too long, and it's and it's so nice to see somebody who likes their job. They work in government. They love their job. You know, I suspect people in the White House actually love their job uh, as hard as it is. Uh, and the idea of serving your country or serving your community is is noble. It, if it I, re- yeah. If, uh, how can you not be proud when you get to work on really big things? And um, I know Nina's going to talk about this. Uh, you asked us to talk about big developments in this hour we have together. Um, and every time we do a big restoration or put in a new trail and um, – mm-hmm. It's pride in the fact that the public trusts you to do that. Uh, it's that you can do really big things with, with public's dollars and with the public's trust, and that's yeah. really exciting to me. Well, and I think you're right. Well, is that Peggy? You know, when, when the district acquires uh, a new preserve and setting that up, so that's that's got to be really interesting. Okay. Well, then let me go to Nina and and uh, uh address the same question to you i mean what's it like working in cook county obviously larger entity i mean you have seventy thousand acres in the forest preserve district of cook county um uh what what are your feelings about uh being a public servant i mean one of my i love it first of all um i can ask for no better job that allows me to be in nature and connect people to nature. And um, I think there's a stigma when it comes to like wondering if you belong, right? Somewhere like in nature, it's scary, right? There's these fears or hesitations out there. And it's really, really cool for me to work for an agency that has a great leadership that really promotes and wants all to feel welcomed here. And so I get to do that and it's amazing. It's, it really is a privilege to be, be in this position and um, just to chat with people all the time about the forest preserves, I can ask for no better, better role. Okay, I got to ask a question of both of you. You know, you're you are in charge of various things in your forest preserve districts. Do you get out enough to the forest preserves, uh, or do you regret not being able to do that as much as you'd like, Rebecca? I absolutely do not get out enough. <laughs> that's for <laughs> sure. Um, my personal passion since since I was in college and uh, what has always been around the environment and my degrees are in, uh, in environmental science. And I've always worked in conservation organizations, but not really on the ground. Um, I think maybe Nina has a different role. I'm a little jealous of that. Um, but, you know, the important thing about a forest preserve district or any local government agency is even the lo- even our accountants feel really connected to our mission and they may never or not be in the forest preserves as much as they want. But um, it's important, the accounting role to, to make a functioning professional organization, and that's what we are. So we work really hard to instill that um, value for the mission and the love of the work um, and time for our employees to be out in nature. So I still don't get enough, though. <laughs> well, yeah. and, and, you know, and part of the reason is not only – uh, are you involved in uh, communications and media? Um, you oversee fundraising 
uh, in the forest preserves through the charitable partner, the Preservation Foundation. So that does suck up a lot of time, doesn't it? It does. It, um, but it's a different angle. Nina was talking about her ability to connect to the public and um, especially show that they have a place in nature. And I do that in a different way with a different constituency. Um, people ask me all the time, how can you, how can you ask the public to give? To, they don't, don't they already say, well, I give with my taxes? I think I can count on two hands in 10 years the number of times that's happened. And when they say that, I say, thank you very much. We appreciate that, too, and we don't take our taxpayers for granted. Um, but there are still plenty of other conversations to have with um, donors. So, yeah, you'd be surprised. Uh, and, Nina, you do get out there a little more, apparently. I do. I mean, there are days where I spend behind my computer. But, um, yes, for sure, I try to get out once or twice a week um, to, to visit all the sites and my teams. And then also, personally, I have three children, five and under, so I want them to know nature. So they are also motivation for me to get out to the forest preserve. So we use them together as a family. Well, when you talk about uh, getting out to the forest preserves, I'm going to show you uh, a photo that I took when this was on the second of January of this year. And if you want a photo that will encourage people to go out in the winter, and you know what? After it snows is a really fabulous time. If you get the right boots and you got your mittens. Um, this is at Harms Woods. And of course, this is a controversial place right now, not because of anything going on in the woods, but what might be going on nearby with the uh, Carvana car tower that is being proposed for Skokie. In fact, it's going to be voted on a week from tomorrow by the uh, Skokie Council. Um, but uh, what a lovely area. And, and when we went, my friend Mac, who is a uh, uh, master naturalist, uh, was taking water samples to check for chloride uh, in, in the water because it had just snowed. And guess what? People right away are putting down salt and it's starting to flow into our rivers. This is the north branch of the Chicago River. But as you can see, it just lifts your spirits. So I'm going to assume, uh, let me show one more here, uh, since I've got this up. And this was last week. Um, uh, any guess where this might be? It could be a lot of places. I'm not, I'm not going to put you on the spot. This is... Uh, yeah. I, 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 I can't change the <laughs> What was the guess? I uh, I said Dan Ryan, but I am I know that is opposite of where you live, Mike. Yeah, although I get down there, I'm going to show some uh, photos later uh, from when I was on the South Side. Uh, but this is uh, Skokie Lagoons, uh, and uh, another wonderful day. It was cold; it had snowed, but it was um, fabulous. And uh, this is anybody who thinks they're not going to have a good time in the winter at a forest preserve is is greatly mistaken um and uh you're nodding rebecca so tell me how it is what is it that you encourage people to do uh and and where to go in your district uh during the winter well the short answer is they can go everywhere they go in the height of summer and people do uh we have 64 different forest preserves in our county uh, as you said 31,000 acres 
And I just have to say that as impressive as Cook County's 70,000 acres is, and it very much is impressive, um, it's both of us, I think, have 11% of our lands in, in, in the county, which makes us, at least in our case, the largest landowner. Anyway, there's a lot to explore, including 209 miles of trail. And people do all of the winter sports activities, <coughs> excuse me, on those trails, cross-country skiing and snowshoeing, and even in a couple of areas, some snowmobiling. We have a bit of that still going on. And of course, ice fish. Oh, yes, here. This is uh, exciting for us. We finally got a two-track uh, snow groomer. Um, this huh. was actually nice. a grant from our from our donors, from our Preservation Foundation. But you can see it being deployed with our snowfall not a couple of weeks ago. So that was its maiden voyage, and we're very proud of that. Can you um, explain to uh, what a snow groomer is? I have no idea. <laughs> Across well, country. Yeah, it's for cross-country skiing cross-country skiing um and actually maybe nina knows a little bit more about how people cross-country ski versus snowshoe i don't but um there's actually you can see uh, the little thin grooves there and then on the other side two or two or four larger grooves and that's what they call the two-track snow groomer we only had a small one-track snow groomer before um but when we when a fresh snow falls our crews will get out there um, not in every location, but in multiple locations. And people can find out on our website where um, cross-country skiing is. Uh, and then we ask that the, thanks for asking the question, because the public doesn't always know that if they're not on skis, they should avoid this groomed area. Um, oh, really? Okay. I'm yeah. glad you said that. Yeah. I, yeah, don't, I, go walking, don't go walking on the groomed trail. Well, exactly. I would. I would go, hey, this is an easier way to get uh, down the path. Yeah, then you got skiers yelling at you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A little bit, <laughs> um, but that's part of the education process. Um, it'll happen, but please don't ride your fat tire bikes out there, um, or at least on this part of it. That's why not all of our trails are groomed, um, but many of them are, as you can see in this picture. We're very proud of this. Well, uh, when you come to, okay, we saw some fat tire bikes out at the Skokie Lagoons. Um, are, are there, where? what are they expected to, to ride on just to, to uh, muscle their way through whatever's there? Uh, fat tire bikes, bikes in our system are allowed anywhere. Uh, we just ask that they be mindful of the grooming, the groom trails right after a snowfall, and avoid those. But anywhere else, um, fat tire bikes are allowed. Well, let me let me show one more photo here that uh, you sent me, um, and again in the snow. And this is really cool. This is how people because you, the forest preserve, uh, our forest preserves are open past dusk because dusk comes at four thirty in the middle of the winter. Um, and people can still hike. Exactly. Um, we know winters are tough in the Midwest, and um, we have two solar-lighted trails or solar-lit trails. Uh, it's kind of hard to take a good picture of the dark, but uh, there you can see <laughs> at Old School Forest Preserve, which is in Libertyville, and then Lakewood Forest Preserve, which is in Wakanda, two of our larger and, and most established preserves. People can walk on the trails every night until 9 o'clock. Um, because we know uh, our preserves are normally open, or all of our system is open 6.30 a.m. to sunset every day of the year. Uh, but these two locations are open for those who don't get out of work until 6 o'clock, like some of us. <laughs> yeah. Um, and and that looks like it would be uh, a lot of fun as well. Now, I want to show something that I actually used for uh, the blog post. Did I not put it here? Oh, oh come on, Michael. Seriously? Seriously, Michael, you didn't put this uh, in in the. No, I didn't. Boy, I'm an idiot. Well, during the break, I'm gonna I'm gonna come up with uh, the photo I wanted to show because I wanted to talk with Nina about um, the uh, Palos area, and no, actually, uh, um, 
not the payload salary, but the uh, where you have the uh, the dark skies initiative going you got on. It right. Oh, I did the get it right. Preserves. Yeah, yeah. Call okay. Payloads preserves, right? So yeah, in partnership with Adler Planetarium. Um, we applied to become an urban night sky place, mm-hmm. and we received that certification last year. So excited about it. It's one of like a handful of designations in the U.S. to be um, an urban night sky place in the Palos Preserves. And because of that, we offer evening programs throughout the year for folks to come out and experience those night skies. I'm jealous, Rebecca, of your solar lit walkways. That's awesome because we don't have any place, um, any trails for people to explore on their own, but we offer a wide variety of evening programs, not just in the Palos area, but throughout the county for people to experience the preserves at nighttime. Well, uh, and here are some of the photos that you sent me that are, are, are pretty wonderful. This is at Cranberry Slough. Um, and it's interesting. I'm going to pop that up, and then I'm going to show a photo I did remember to take. Okay, look at that. That's Cranberry Slough. Um, and I went out a couple of years ago, going on three years now, unfortunately. Wow. Uh, this is uh, – okay, explain where Cranberry Slough is, um, uh, Nina. So Cranberry Slough is located in the Palos area, the Palos Preserves, and um, it's especially beautiful. It's beautiful all year round, but it's so it's in the southwest part of the county, and it's this spring is the time to visit Cranberry Slough because of all the beautiful uh, wildflowers that you'll see. It's a carpet of flowers on the forest floor. Mm -hmm. Um, It's one of the big places we spent a lot of time restoring. Well, and then if you go east, this is a photo I took, and it looks remarkably like yep. the other photo. Um, and this is also an area that's been restored. This is a Thornton Lansing Road Nature Preserve. Um, and when I went down there, there was some work going on, um, and that's across uh, from. And I'm blanking on it. Do you? Um, what's the lake uh, down Wolf. there? There's Hold Wolf up. Lake. There's um, Wampum Lake. Wampum Lake. It's this is a, like across the road from Wampum Lake. And mm-hmm. it's just so, you can't believe how beautiful it is. And you're thinking, you know, you're, you're still in Cook County. Um, and there's ferns growing under these, these trees. And it's been cleared out. And it really makes a difference when you restore the lands, doesn't it? It does. And the past two photos that you showed us are of open woodlands, which is one of the major um, ecosystems we have here in northern Illinois. So those are both beautiful photos. I love the ferns. They, like, make the place full of magic, don't they, Mike? Uh, oh, yeah, absolutely. You just you just so, can't. Yeah, we've got a question while we're talking about the slough. Sandra is asking, what exactly is a slough? Good question. Oh, I love it. There's a lot of sloughs in Cook County. I don't know about Lake County, but we have a lot of them. And um, I would say my best definition of a slough is... Um, it looks really large on the surface like a lake, um, but it's not as deep as a lake. So they can be very shallow in a lot of places, um, full of mucky uh, bottoms, right? So if you mm-hmm. don't ever step in a slough because you're just going to sink in mud, probably <laughs> up to your knees. You can canoe in a slough. Yeah. Right. You can canoe in a slough and kayak in a slough, yes. Um, but so don't capsize. Not unless you want to be, you know, tangled in aquatic plants, which 
isn't always a bad thing. It could be fun and adventurous. Oh yeah, we um, when uh, Kath- Kathleen and I recently went to Bullfrog Lake. Uh, we went a couple of times because that is one of the areas. And I'm going to grab those photos while we're in the break so that you can see what it looks like. Um, and there are several sloughs there uh, along the paths, and uh, we took uh, and they're and they're just beautiful, and they feature all kinds of different aquatic plants. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, and like you said, it's not something you want to walk into, but you can walk up to the edge. And, uh, and enjoy it or take a photo. Um, and and uh, we need to take, in fact, we need to take that break here. Um, and um, at some point, I mentioned to you guys earlier in, in preparation for this, I wanted you to tell me what is a jewel or two in your system uh, that you think is underutilized so that folks might have some place to, to head out to um, that uh, not a lot of people find uh, when when they're looking for a place to hike in the forest preserves. Um, and so I'll just uh, remind people that uh, we are talking to Nina Baki, Yanina Baki, um, from the for- Forest Preserve District of Cook County and Rebecca Snyder from Lake County Forest Preserves. Uh, it's the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. Let's take a short break, and we'll be right back. From spring seed and soil treatments to summer foliar feeding to fall stubble digesters, Blazing Star provides microbial tools from Tinyo Biologicals for natural and organic farmers. They have solutions for home gardeners, too. And Blazing Star also offers agroecological education and consulting, especially for permaculture work in Zones 4 and 5. Learn more about these great folks and great techniques at blazing-star.com. I'm not sure when I will feel like myself again, and that's hard for me to admit. I got COVID. So many others died, and yet I'm lucky I'm still here. But so are my long-haul symptoms, and even the best doctors and scientists don't know what to expect moving forward. But what they do know is that we now have a vaccine against this devastating virus. It is safe and effective. It can keep you from getting critically ill. I wish this vaccine had been around before so many of us had gotten sick. But it is here now for you. This shot means that you can be there again with family, friends, and neighbors. Be there. This is your shot. Starting seeds with fluorescence? Let's talk. You've used fluorescent bulbs for as long as you can remember to start your seeds and they work. We get it. Or you look at alternative lights to start seeds and the fluorescents are noticeably less expensive. We get that too. But I'm here to tell you, you and your plants deserve better. It's time to take seed starting to another level. Here is why a good quality LED grow light does so much better than those fluorescent bulbs. Your seedlings will get a better start in life with stronger stems and no legginess. Not only will they have stronger stems, they will be stronger overall in order to fight off disease. You can get them in the ground faster because the cycle time for growth can be shortened. 
You will save money overall because you can grow better quality plants in a shorter amount of time with much less energy than you use with fluorescence. And welcome back to the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. We're talking uh, about uh, forest preserves today, and I'm, it's it's harder than you think in 90 seconds to find uh, the photos you're looking for and send them to yourself, but I've just done that. And so at some point, Yay. yeah, at some point uh, when they actually arrive in my Gmail account, oh, there they are, um, I will be able to uh, pop them in. But uh, let's get back to our conversation um, about... Uh, forest preserves. I want to talk about before we get to the the secret ones, the ones that uh, people should know about that uh, they don't. Uh, let's talk about some of the events uh, that you have uh, coming up this uh, winter and perhaps even in early spring. I, I, I will say one thing: if you go to the events page, and I have that linked for both of your forest preserve districts uh, on my blog post. There's all kinds of stuff. I mean, it, it goes on forever. I don't need Nina. I don't even know how you keep track of of all the things that you are doing uh, in the Cook County Forest Preserve. Um, but uh, maybe you can highlight some of those. Uh, Rebecca, let's uh, let's start with you and and let folks know what uh, they can expect to do uh, over the winter because you guys have a lot going on. We do, and thanks for putting out uh, the link to our online calendar. Everything you can find, I mean, everything we offer, you can find on our online calendar. Um, but I was trying to pull out some special ones for you, Mike and Peggy. Um, next weekend, oh, actually about a week, a week from today, is Profiles in Excellence. This is going to be the 39th year of Profiles in Excellence, which is a celebration of the history and contributions and successes of the African-American community in Lake County. Um, this, for the second year in a row, will be a virtual offering. Unfortunately, of course, we had to all rather be together, and it has been held at our Greenbelt Forest Preserve for a number of years. Because of the pandemic, we're virtual, but actually it makes it really accessible to new audiences. So I really want to encourage people to join that event, which is online uh, for an hour and a half. And this year's topic is the past, present, and future of the Black Church. So I uh, really encourage people to join that one. It used to compete with Super Bowl Sunday every year. <laughs> and they moved to Super oh Bowl. Oh, boy. Thank goodness. Yeah, <laughs> no really. There's not even a, a, a playoff game. So, um, And then I guess I wanted to talk about a category of opportunities for people. Believe it or not, this time of year is extremely busy for restoration. You would think, how is that possible? Yeah. There's no plants on the ground. Actually, for both our staff and our volunteers, the winter is a very busy time for doing restoration. And we invite the public to our restoration work days. Again, those are all on our website. And uh, there's no experience necessary. We just uh, welcome you, wear really warm clothes, and we'll provide all your tools and we'll provide training. And um, believe it or not, we have a work day pretty much every day of the week, all year round, and all over the forest mm -hmm. reserves. So check those out for so, sure. Go ahead. Rebecca, what's involved in a work day if somebody wanted to volunteer typically? Well, typically they're in the mornings. So think, you know, nine to lunch, uh, give or take. Um, and this time of year, most often they're cutting invasive brush. So buckthorn and other invasive species, sometimes um, gathering brush that was previously cut and um, burning it in brush piles. Pretty simple. This time of year, that's mostly mm -hmm. what you're going to be doing. Uh, you know, holding those loppers and cutting down small stems, and then your restoration workday leader will be running chainsaws sometimes. 
so uh, spring, summer, fall, obviously lots of different activities going on. But right now, don't discount being out in the forest preserves. Even on a cold day, you are going to work up a sweat and stay pretty warm. <laughs> I, I imagine. And here's something else that you've been uh, running and is still going yes. on through March 27th. Yes. Thank you. I wanted to point out for those who prefer the warmth in the indoors, actually, I hate to be cold myself. So we have plenty <laughs> to do inside, too. It's always year-round at our Dunn Museum. Uh, so for those who don't know, the Dunn Museum is Lake County's um, collection of history, na- cultural and natural history. Uh, so the Forest Preserves owns and maintains the Dunn Museum, and it's right here in Libertyville, in the, in my, where I'm sitting now. And uh, in addition to Lake County history, Um, which is on display all year round. We always have temporary exhibitions, and the current one right now is Ansel Adams' Early Works. I am guessing that your audience knows Ansel Adams extremely well, Mm -hmm. uh, but they may not know his early works. Um, And this is a fascinating exhibition, and it really educated me a lot about what made him such um, a special photographer. and I've always heard about his dark room skill, his uh, skill in the dark room, excuse me. But mm-hmm. uh, what I didn't understand is that he saw himself as, um, a, a, in a good way, a propagandist for nature. And um, so the exhibition will tell you more about that. It's really, really exciting up through March 27th. And uh, when is that open uh, during the day? Which days and, do you know, the times? The best thing to do is check our website because we do uh, tend to have, we aren't open seven, six days a week as we were before COVID. Um, and also we, because of Ansel Adams is such a popular exhibition, we do have um, uh, controls on the size of our audience. So people should check before they plan mm-hmm. to come. Our open hours on our website, uh, dunmuseum.org is fine or through the district's webpage. Um, and then we're open on school holidays. So it's a little hard to, to give you, you know, a set schedule. So please just check before you go. But we're open at least four to five days a week. Okay. All right. Now I want to get to something that I started to talk about uh, in uh, the other half hour. Uh, and I and I have I managed to drag up a couple. I can't believe I didn't load these last night. Um, but uh, look, at, <laughs> <laughs> look at this. This is at, uh, in the Cook County Forest Preserve District. Um, and that is at Maple Lake. Uh, Nina, why don't you just explain the concept of what you're doing there in the Palos area? So the Palos area um, is one of our priority sites for restoration. Um, It's our largest um, grouping of forest preserves, right? So there's, um, there's thousands and thousands and thousands of acreage down here. And so we've been focused a lot on what Rebecca was talking about with restoration. Uh, stewardship is just removing the brush and returning and and just caring for the land to make it richer in diversity, right? So let's remove some of these invasive plants and then allow room for other plants to grow. And so um, because of the expanse of open space down here, we have a lot of dark skies compared to other parts of Chicagoland. And so, Mike, is this your picture or did we... we No, this is yours. This This is is yours. I'll show you mine in a second. Okay. Yeah. So what you're seeing here is a a beautiful example of the night skies in the Palos area that you probably won't be able to get a view like this in other parts. Um, And this is what um, and why it's so important to have this certification from the International Dark Sky Association of being an urban night sky place. I mean, imagine camping out, and there's a campground pretty close to this 
where this image was taken and then being able to walk out your tent or cabin and just look up at a stars like this 30 minutes away from downtown Chicago. This is right. And, and actually just a couple of minutes away from, uh, I 55. Um, and uh, it's, you wouldn't know it from, from being there. Uh, this is Maple Lake that we're looking at here and a neighboring lake is bullfrog lake and i've mentioned that on the show because kathleen and i have gone there a couple of times i took this photo at bullfrog lake as the moon was rising uh and i mentioned this to you the other day nina uh kathleen and i were out there and i was looking up at the sky and of course you've removed there are not that you've removed them you haven't allowed lights to intrude here and i don't it's one of the hardest things in the world is to explain to people how debilitating light pollution is to um, our species, to other species, animals and plants, to the world. Uh, they look at the, the globe. You see those pictures from space of all the places the planet is lit up, and they go, ooh, isn't that cool, sparkly lights. And I look at it, and it makes me depressed a little bit because it, we just, we've thrown all this light out there without regard to the consequences of the light. And so here you are smack in the chicago region it takes us about an hour to get there and you can get go to a campground that you have cabins at bullfrog lake um because uh we're not big campers uh we'd rather have a, a cabin and they're simple they're they don't even you have to not even a bathroom if you know it's but there are bunks and um you uh then walk to a, a community bathroom just down the path a little bit um, but this is what you see. Um, and, and I was looking up at the sky when we were there, and I went, oh, look, that's Venus. I think that's Jupiter over there. And so I pulled out my sky app on my phone, and lo and behold, Saturn was between the two, and I had, had not noticed it. And so there we were standing there looking at uh, Venus, Jupiter, and Saturn all in one little section of sky. Um, and the fact that we could see them at all is amazing because I see almost nothing from my Logan Square home. Uh, you know, I'm I'm jealous of people who can just walk out and uh, see something. Uh, you know, there's a phenomenon that you're that or, or meteor shower or something, and that ain't going to happen here in the middle of the city. So, uh, kudos to the uh, the uh, Cook County Forest Preserve District. For, for doing that. And I encourage people to go there. It's really fun. It's it's pretty reasonably priced. Um, and it's so close to the city. It's it's just a, a great getaway. Mike, and I just wanted to bring up, because you touched on, you know, understanding how the the light pollution affects, right, the, the yeah. earth. And so we actually have, um, as part of our sustainability series, we have Lunch and Learns. And coming up February 17th, we have a lunch and learn on dark nights for humans and wildlife. So um, that is a great mm -hmm. opportunity to discuss and be part of a conversation to learn about the impacts of pollution, uh, light pollution. And I think I actually did add that uh, to the list of the activities that are there. Yeah, there it is. It's the very, awesome. if, if you go yeah. to uh, the blog post, it's the very last one under uh, Cook County Activities, uh, Lunch and Learn, Embracing Dark Nights for Humans and Wildlife. You don't even have to show up. It's a Zoom presentation. But I'm trying to figure out how to explain this to my neighbors 
who are just shooting light all over the place, and and they're all all they're thinking is it's going to deter crime, and and studies show that it doesn't really. Um, and, you know, you want even light, and you want. Uh, people to be able to adjust to light. You want their eyes to be able to adjust. So if you have these really bright spots and then you have the really dark spots, that's a problem. It's, it's a problem for cyclists who go in and out of brightly lit areas. Um, it's a problem for pedestrians and on and on and on. Um, one other issue that both of you have alluded to, and I'm going to pop up a photo about that. This was taken, I believe, in Sweetwoods on the southeast side. Um, and if you look at that, you go, wow, it's a lovely spring day, and look at that wonderful carpeting. Uh, do you know what that is, Nina? I don't know. It, it's kind of hard. It's, 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 it, it's hard to tell. It's lesser celandine. Ah. Okay. And folks who don't know this, um, and uh, uh, David Zaber was the guy who, who took me there, uh, a, a naturalist himself, and lives down yeah. there, and and really knows the preserves well. Um, it's an invasive species. This has taken over a lot of the areas. So when you have something like this, that has been removed. Now, you can't tell the difference in this photo, but those are ferns. Um, this is a mat of this invasive species that's uh, really difficult to eradicate. But this calls attention to the work that both of you are doing. Nina, why don't you talk about that a little bit? And then, uh, Rebecca, uh, I'll let you jump in. Sure, yeah. I mean, like Lake County, it sounds like, you know, they have such uh, a full calendar of restoration work similar to what the Forest Preserve does. So, you know, you, you mentioned that that lesser celadine is a thick mat, right? Yeah. It's hard to eradicate, but it's also hard for different plants to grow in it right? right so it outcompetes all the the other plants that may be waiting to sprout in that soil bank um, which is the problem with with invasive plants and so um you know being a conservation organization restoration is a large uh part in what we do to help make these preserves um healthy communities for not just for us but for the plants and animals that live there so we have lots of restoration work all year round. Um, right now is my favorite, as Rebecca said, because you get to use saw, bow saws and loppers and cut things down and have fires, and that's really appearing, appealing um, to a lot of people, believe it or not. And well, it's the skills of using tools, right? Yeah. So you're, pick, you're picking yeah. up. Um, and and a lot of plants that fo folks who are not familiar with these areas will look at something like Phragmites, which grows in the ditches, and they'll say, oh, that's a pretty grass. Oh, look, it's everywhere. Yeah, and if you, if you keep looking, you realize yeah, it's, it's everywhere. Every, everywhere, and it, has, it takes over large areas, and I imagine you deal with that in uh, Lake County, Rebecca. Oh, my, we do. We do. <laughs> I've actually heard uh, more than one colleague of mine in the Natural Resources Division talk about invasive species as the single greatest threat to our Lake County Forest Preserves. Um, and we take that threat very seriously, of course. Um, you may not know, but Lake County Forest Preserve, or excuse me, Lake County actually has more biodiversity than any other county in the state of Illinois. Uh, so I would say, uh, and I mean this in a positive way, but we have a restoration bias here at our agency. Uh, we spend a lot of time, a lot of public dollars, a lot of energy, a lot of grant dollars, a lot of donor dollars 
doing large scale restoration, landscape scale restoration. Um, because exactly what Nina said, a diversity of species increases the resilience of our forest preserves to uh, future change, climate change through um, when you have a diverse landscape, you're increasing the resilience to changing weather conditions to um, the next exotic pest that might come in or the next wave of invasive species. And here, um, probably our um, what's our, our biggest example here is buckthorn, certainly. I know buckthorn is all over the region. Um, but in Lake County, it is above 50% of our tree cover. Um, and it only got worse over the past 10 years, which, you know, yes, <laughs> kind of disheartening. Um, and yet we're working on it every single day. Uh, our volunteers work on it. Um, our staff works on it. Um, it's, uh, it's what we're doing most of the time when we're applying for state or federal grants or asking for donors to invest in restoration. It's kind of a never ending battle. Um, but the goal is resilience. And and the part of the problem with buckthorn, and I, I had somebody recently um, talk to me about how they can't talk their neighbor into getting rid of the buckthorn because the neighbor looks at it and said, you're not going to cut down my trees. Well, th- they're not native trees, and they are really, um, they're pernicious. Aggressive. Yeah, they're aggressive, and they pre- prevent, like the lesser celandine, other plants from growing. Like the Phragmites, they take over an entire area, and then... You don't have diversity anymore. You have uh, monocultures that spring up. So, all right, while we're here, Rebecca, I want to pop on some of the photos that you sent me, and you can comment on them. Um, this, <laughs> is is your, this? <laughs> this is your hidden gem. <laughs> yeah, thank you for showing this picture. Um, you asked us to pick our favorite child, which is really hard to do. Um, but for the hidden gem, <laughs> I am showing you a picture from Spring Bluff Forest Preserve. And if you can believe it, this picture, which I find extremely gorgeous, has our back to Lake Michigan. So um, it's something when you're not, you know, you're standing on our wildlife observation platform there, uh, which is a two-story structure. We're on the top structure. And we're, the Lake Michigan is right behind us. So that's the reason I pulled this um, up when you talked about talk about a hidden gem. I don't know how hidden it is because it's right there next to, uh, it's embedded in, um, I'm sorry, at the north end of Illinois Beach State Park. Um, but it's a really special location, and given that it's at the north um, east corner of the county, not everybody wants to make the effort to go that far, but you should. Um, it's a bird watcher's dream. It's a wildlife lover's dream. And this is, uh, we don't do many structures in the forest preserves, but this is a two-story observation structure so that people can appreciate the landscape there. Um, and then, of course, you can see Lake Michigan. Um, and we have... Um, more more geography on Lake Michigan than in other counties, so we have to celebrate that. Uh, I also want to mention that this is only about 285 acres, but it sits within a 4,000-acre globally important mm-hmm. complex. Uh, so the Forest Preserves, more than for 10 or 15 years, has been working across the state boundary and with private and public landowners in this region of about 4,000 acres to protect this dune and soil habitat, which is globally rare. And in 2016, it was designated a Ramsar wetland of international importance. Uh, one of This is only the third in Illinois, actually. So we're very proud of that. Lots of reasons to go visit Spring Bluff, which is right there at the north end of Illinois Beach State. And of course, Peggy that's lives Wil- up there. Winthrop Harbor? Yes, Winthrop Harbor. That's right. Yeah, and Peggy, you 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 know Lake County because you live there, so you know these areas better than I do. Uh, or yeah, here, I'm at or, the southern end of the county, but yeah, I've I've definitely been up there. Uh, here's another one you sent me, Ethel's Woods. 
Yes, you asked us to think about, you know, the, uh, what's new and exciting these days. So I, I picked two preserves um, that people okay. might not have visited. This is a brand new preserve, and this is a drone view because what's really special about it, uh, one, is that it only opened within the past couple of years. Um, and what you're seeing there is the bed of a man-made lake that existed for about, ooh, I don't know, 80 years. Um, and when the forest preserves took it over, we just uh, it was a dead lake. You couldn't fish on it. You couldn't swim in it. It just, um, it was, it was a it was dead for wildlife and plant life. Uh, so over a number of years, we drained the lake and re-meandered the stream. And now what you see is a healthy functioning uh, watershed. And um, then you can see some of the, this is just part of our trail system there. Um, this mm -hmm. opened and became quickly one of our most visited preserves. Uh, so I really recommend people go check that out. It's in Antioch along Route 45. All Ethel's right. Yeah. And and speaking of that, the uh, Millennium Trail underpass that just opened, connecting. Yes, I love that you know about that. <laughs> yes, uh, our Millennium Trail is a planned 37-mile 30, uh, trail through the western and northern part of Lake County. Um, mm -hmm. A bunch of that's been done, including a segment um, right here. Um, but, uh, you know, that one still has a few more years where we'll get until we can get that completed. But right now, Ethel's Woods and Raven Glen, which is across the street, are now connected by an underpass. So you could just spend your whole day in this area. Um, in fact, Peggy, uh, you sent me several things about Lake County, of course, that uh, uh, didn't make it to the blog. So if you want to bring up any of those before the end of this, I want to show. An, we have a really good question from uh, Alexandra who says, how do you re-meander a stream? Uh, <laughs> which is kind of interesting. And while we're doing that, I'm, this is Buffalo Creek, uh, wide yeah. shot of Buffalo Creek. Oh, yeah. Yes. How do you re-meander a stream? Well, the short answer is that it is a combination of art and science. And that's not my description, but that's my colleague uh, who's since retired from the district but ran this program. Um, it takes years to drain a lake. I think it took two, two years to drain the lake uh, so that you don't flood the downstream you know, landowners, which we certainly didn't want to do. Um, and it involved a lot of earth moving. It involved a couple million dollars, <laughs> thanks to the Illinois EPA, frankly, for some 319 money there. We got, I think, a $1 million grant plus some of our own money matching it. Um, and a lot of manpower, a lot of, um, those are a lot of wetland plugs going in there, trust me. Yeah. <laughs> A lot of money, a lot of time. All right. We, well, now let's look at some of the photos that, uh, that Nina, that you sent me, because uh, there's some, some great areas here, like uh, at uh, Bussy Woods, which Bussy Woods is, mm -hmm. is a pretty amazing place when you consider how close yeah. it is to O'Hare. And, and if you go there, there's a lot of acreage there and a lot of interesting stuff. Absolutely. It's, it's a, a huge uh, network of trails and habitats, and it's one of the more popular sites for picnics and gatherings. And we certainly do um, programming at Bussy Woods, so um, we, I invite anyone out to come and participate in what we do. Yeah, um, I, just a quick comment. Uh, Dennis Dreyer, who, who watches the show a lot, says that Ethel's Woods is a great project. So uh, congratulations you. to you guys. Uh, here's another one in Cook County, uh, Spring Creek. There's some just wonderful photos here that, that you've sent, Nina. Right. Yeah, and I um, don't know much about Spring Creek. I sent you, I think, uh, a dozen or so photos highlighting uh, different forest preserves, but um, 
Yeah, Spring Creek, we have an amazing, I believe we have an amazing group of stewards out at Spring Creek making this place um, look as it is, beautiful, and it looks diverse and healthy. Yeah, um, here's uh, Deer Grove East, um, and uh, let's see, we've also got uh, uh, Des Plaines River Trail. Yeah. There's just some, I mean, you look at these scenes and, and you think, this is in Cook County. Are you are you kidding me? Um, right, yeah, and, and not just in Deer Cook Grove County. Being, and go ahead, Peggy. I was going to say, and Deer Grove being actually the first one in the county. Right, that's right. It's our first designated forest preserve. And Deer Grove, Mike, you mentioned camping earlier. Deer Grove has uh, Camp Rheinberg right next door to it. So um, bring your bikes out when you go camping at Camp Rheinberg and get on the the trails that go through Deer Grove. And we mentioned Wampin Lake uh, earlier. Here's a ravine, uh, open woodland ravine. And if that isn't lush and inviting, I really don't know what is. Um, and, uh, and, and speaking of that area, this is a photo. Uh, Peggy and uh, Kathleen and Mac and I were out there. I think you were with us, Peggy, weren't you? When, uh, yeah, yeah. And when we when we took this photo, yes, of the of the uh, black crown night heron, um, and this is at Flossmore Road uh, on the south side. So I do get there occasionally, um, thanks to Dennis Zaber. Um, uh, David. David Zaber. David Zaber. Sorry, I'm uh, thinking Dennis Dreyer, David Zaber, uh, and one more here. This is uh, Bobble Link Meadow. Um, mm -hmm. and, and this is uh, part of the Bartell grasslands yeah. on the south side. And this is a, an awesome area as well. Yeah, we saw right, a lot of hawks there. And there's a lot of hawks and owls, too, have been known nesting on, like, short-eared short owls. So migrant species coming through and taking advantage of this open space that need a place for rest and food and recovery before they continue their journey. Yeah, you know, mm -hmm. that's something we need to mention here, that whether it's Lake County, whether it's Cook County, whether it's um, Will County or, or DuPage or Indiana Lake County, um, this is a migratory route. And this, this is, it's really important that we preserve these areas because the birds are taking advantage of them. Um, and the, the, their routes are shaped by Lake Michigan and the shoreline. I mean, the fact that you can... It's not part of the Forest Preserve District, but you can go to Montrose Beach um, and and see as many different birds as uh, as, as show up there is just uh, nothing short of remarkable. So, yeah, Mike, could I mention too, like opposite of Montrose Beach, but still in Chicago, um, on the very south side is Bobian Woods. And it's one of the, I think, gems that we have that um, doesn't get visited much, but we've been working hard at activating that site. And you can go there and look out at Flatfoot Lake and see bald eagles uh, flying mm -hmm. ahead or osprey flying ahead. And they're there because the resources are there for them to fish and um, the trees to roost in. So Bobian Woods, well, if I, I can encourage anyone to go, would be to go to Bobian Woods. Um, and it's near Altgeld Gardens, um, and uh, and 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 there's it's sort of a, a dichotomy uh, of of things there. We've got the open, and then across the Calumet River is 
um, um, a, a, a landfill, which has been capped. Um, so, and all these different aspects of our area come together in one little place. And, and, and I'm glad you mentioned that because it's a final thing. Uh, you alerted me to this, Nina, that the New York Times came out with an article called 52 Places for a Changed World uh, recently. And I've got a link to it on my blog post, and it highlights spots where travelers can be part of the solution. And it mentions the Little Calumet River and the African-American Heritage Water Trail, which starts at Bobian Woods. And you can follow this, and it's a project of open lands. Um, and it's just the coolest thing. And, and if you go to the link, you can follow and see where the trail goes. Um, you guys must be proud to be part of that. We are certainly proud of it. I mean, yes, we want to preserve nature, but we also want to share the stories of Cook County people, and we bring a lot of cultural stories into what we do. And so this is just um, highlighting an amazing, resilient community down on the south side. Um, and, yeah, being being part of the African-American Heritage Water Trail and partnering with organizations like Open Lands. Down at Bobian Woods nearby is um, the Tom Farm site, which is um, noted as being an underground railroad, a place for underground railroad um, for freedom seekers to come and take rest there. And so there's amazing stories, cultural stories that the Forest Preserves is supporting and wanting to share out. Um, so I don't know if you're familiar with the, the network to freedom through the National Park Service. So that Tom Farm site is part of that network to freedom trail. So if you go on the National Park Systems website and find the Underground Railroad mm -hmm. Network, you'll see it listed down there. And so we are doing lots to activate the, the south side near Bobian Woods and to get the community involved. And then also Bobian is a great like regional tourist location to go to. We have a community day scheduled next Saturday. If anyone wants to come out and be part of a community day with Field Museum and the Forest Preserves, we'll do restoration work and take people on hikes and showcase the fishing lake, the river access. It's going to be an amazing day. So all right, all of you to come up. And, and Peggy just reminded me that one other thing we talked about, and I did pop this in the blog, and that was the coyote story. Um, and I know it's been, there's a little bit of controversy going on right now in the uh, Forest Preserve District of Cook County. Uh, and that's because you have a, a coyote, a four-year-old coyote uh, in captivity that was raised as a dog. Um, and, and it bonded with humans. And so it can't be let out in the wild. But it, that has become controversial because some people say it should be moved um, to a, a larger area. Can you comment on that a little bit? You know, you're, you um, are right, Mike, this, this coyote is part of our animal ambassador program. So anyone that's been out to our nature centers has experienced our animal ambassadors, you know, from birds of prey to reptiles to fish. And at a couple locations, we have mammals. And for the most part, these animals like the birds and prey and mammals are not releasable to be back in the wild. There's some reason um, that they're, they're here, whether it's an injury or in this case, the coyote is what we call imprinted on humans um, because he with his siblings was found before their eyes were even open, right? And so they were brought to an animal shelter and raised as dogs. Um, we 
Our staff is experienced and skilled at taking great care of our animal ambassadors. Um, we go you know, beyond the minimum requirements put out by the USDA and um, DNR. And so at this opportunity, like this point, we're using this as an opportunity um, to just get the full picture of our animal ambassador program. We're always interested in learning what's best for our animals and we wanna base what's best for the animals on the latest science, um, the best practices. And so we're taking this moment to um, just learn and make sure that we're, we are doing what we're doing and we're, um, we're doing matches what is best. But our animals are always seen by vets. We have vets on call. We have wildlife biologist staff, and um, we take pride in the care that we, we give our animals. And I will note that uh, the FPDCC has released a statement on that. I've got a link to that. It's on Facebook, um, and it goes to an earlier statement. So you can go down and, and see everything has been said about this and um, weigh in if, if you need to. I, I'm just learned about this recently so uh, i don't know a lot about it um it'll be interesting to see what happens because you guys probably still have some decisions to make uh about whether the coyote stays or the coyote coyote goes um to a uh, uh a wildlife sanctuary of some kind so uh thank you for commenting on that nina and thank you for being on the show rebecca snyder thank you so much for being on the show folks get out Get out. Go to your forest preserves. Enjoy mm-hmm. nature. Get on a, a work crew in the winter yeah. so you can use your saw. I don't think they're going to hand you a chainsaw, so don't count on that. No, no that's not going to happen. Get out every day, no matter what the weather is, and the forest preserve is a perfect, perfect way to do that. You know, it, even the days you don't feel like getting out, when you get out, you, you walk away thinking, oh, boy, I'm sure glad I did that. Uh, I don't know about you, but that's that's the way it, it, it works for me, and I think it works that way for a lot of people. Uh, thank you both. I hope we talk again very soon. Same here. Thank you. Thank you, Mike and Peggy and Rebecca. It was nice having you in this conversation. Thank you. All right. It's the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. We're, we're going uh, through the transom when we come back. Hi, I'm Megan Kosensky, and these are Don Redwoods. These are one of my favorite trees, and I've spent a lot of time with my family in Northern California looking at the coastal redwoods, which are a different species, but they bear a lot of similarities to the dawn redwoods that we have here on the East Coast. And because they're so similar, you know, they act as a reminder of all my memories that I have with my family. The first time that I saw the coastal redwoods, was when I visited my aunt and uncle in Northern California and they asked what I wanted to do for my 20th birthday. I wanted to go and see the redwoods and we spent a day touring through the forest, um, seeing these massive trees and I think that was the first time that I was really like starstruck by trees and a couple years later I became an arborist at Bartlett. So 20 years ago, my mom and her siblings planted a Dawn Redwood in uh, memory of my uncle Kevin. They planted it in his favorite place along the water in Laguna Beach, California. My aunt put a time capsule in the ground so that one day 
you know, in a couple hundred years, someone will find it and learn about him and his memory will keep living on. There's so many memories within these trees for me and I think for my entire family. Welcome to the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. Green, gardening, and environment radio with just a sipson of humor. Or is that a dash? Brought to you by Bartlett Tree Experts. Every tree needs a champion. Go to Bartlett.com. Here they are again, Peggy Malecki and Mike Novak. All I need is good food to eat and make me healthy, wealthy, wide awake. Lettuce, tomatoes, root of bacon. What about those sweet potatoes? All I need is good food to eat. All I need is good food to eat. All I need is good tools to make me music, porches, lawn serene. Give me all that I can take. And welcome back to the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. And uh, here we are. Um, and, uh, you know, you mentioned something. Uh, while we're, we're on the subject of Lake County, you sent me... Uh, something the other day about old socks or torn jeans. There's a Lake County business that um, is, exp- uh, uh, Lake County is expanding the program to keep them out of landfills, which is always near and dear to my heart. Um, and uh, apparently there's going to be a uh, recycling program for clothing and textiles such as blankets and quilts, you know, it, it, mm-hmm. that's the thing. If you got a blanket or a quilt, then it, it sounds like that's an easy thing. But if you got a little scrap of cloth of something, that's people find it harder to figure out what to do with that or, or torn shorts or something like that. But, uh, um, it, there's apparently yeah. going to be pull the article up here. Um, it's 61. This is in the Daily Herald, actually. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Recycling program for clothing and textiles, uh, 60 own collection boxes, like you said. This is going through Solid Waste Agency of Lake County, who estimates nearly 500,000 pounds of these materials were dropped in bins last year. Um, wow. That's good, though, because I can't tell you how many and, times I walk out to my alley and see a, a bin full of clothes that yeah. is just going to landfill. Yeah, and we've had Merlin Rample on the show before. She's quoted in here with Swalco saying, um, it's been a steady growth. It takes a few years for these programs to grow. Um, the program was launched in 2014 at six sites, but there's now collection boxes at 46 locations throughout Lake County, um, village halls, fire departments, park districts, schools, senior centers, and some such as Gurney and Grays Lake have three bins each and multiple collection boxes. Um you can go to Swalco, S-W-A-L-C-O dot org for some details. And Merlan says textiles are the fastest growing category in the U.S. waste stream. About 85% of discarded clothes and textiles end up in lake, in landfills. Well, I was at a, a textile webinar not too long ago about, about recycling textiles. And it has become um, its own pandemic, really. Um, that the, and it it sort of has risen with the advent of uh, shopping online, where yeah, folks and fast will, fashion, right? Fast fashion and people wear stuff once and throw it away. I I don't get that. 
I, I seriously yeah. do not understand that. Um, and and the other thing is, they'll order five of something, and um, use one of them, and then the rest gets tossed. And even if you send it back, often it gets tossed. It ends it up. It usually gets tossed. Yeah. And it's gotten so bad that um, I was reading recently that a lot of online resellers, uh, retailers will just say, okay, here's your refund. Don't send it back because they're just going to toss it and they have no place to put it. Oh, go ahead. Um, Sorry. So Paul, Paul Thompson is asking, um, what do they do with the clothes and rags? According to this article, Paul, clothing and textiles are collected and sorted by a company called Wipeco Inc. Um, 95% are repurposed, reused, or recycled in a full circle program, says Merlin Rample. Um, Swaco collects a small profound per pound fee from Wipeco and shares it with participating communities. Yeah, and uh, I got sent an article uh, by Andrew Fedorovsky, who who watches us uh, not too long ago, and of course it's on Bloomberg because, and so I can't get to it, so I can't even read the the thing. Um, and uh, it's about holiday package returns are choking retailers and landfills, and part of it is about how there's so many things are going to be returned. Wait, he did say I know. He sent, I, I remember, He then he sent me a PDF. Thank you. You're the best. Um, yeah, and s- send it to me, and I'll, I, I will help you with that. Let's put it that way. Well, he's got it here. He says, um, one in four Americans, and this was written a couple of weeks ago, obviously, just after the holiday season. Uh, one in four Americans expects to return at least one holiday gift by next weekend, according to a report by UPS. That's at least 60 million packages in a single wow. return season for the world's largest package shipper alone, I didn't realize they were still number one, UPS, a 10% increase over 2020 holiday returns. As the cost of shipping and handling these returns increases, retailers and consumers are facing an expensive and unsustainable shopping future. Um, Bloomberg writes, for generations, savvy retailers adopted lenient return policies as a way to project reliability and to retain customers. Now it's biting them in the butt. They knew perfectly well that unscrupulous customers could exploit no questions asked or receipt optional refund policies, but the success of retailers like Nordstrom and Target, both of whom have famously permissive return policies and loyal customers, highlighted the countervailing benefits. In a recent survey of apparel companies, 86% of respondents agreed that returns are a necessary evil. But what it's doing, uh, it's as they say here, it's an expensive way to gain market share. In 2020, U.S. consumers returned around $428.6 billion in merchandise. That's almost half a trillion dollars. Um or 10.6% of total retail sales, 10% is returned. What uh, Now online retailers, buffeted by picky COVID-era consumers, face return rates between 15 and 30%. This is insane. This is unsustainable. So yeah. uh, I, I, our, our business model, the business models um, aren't working. Uh, at least not yeah. in this post-COVID world. Yeah, you can't even, can't even plan. 
you know, it, not to even mention the stuff that's just wasted or not even returned and tossed. Yeah. Because people are ordering two sizes, three sizes, four sizes, whatever, or they're shipping it to somebody or. All right. It's, I I was going to say something we can look into on on another show, but we've talked with Loop and TerraCycle. Loop's actually working with a handful of companies on a reusable shipping container. So if you order online, you get something that's reusable, that's postage paid that you ship back to them. Mm-hmm. Hmm. To cut it landfill. Uh, one more thing from this article because it's just it, and it's written by Adam Minter, who we've had on this show, and is who uh, who is the uh, the creator of Shanghai Scrap, um, the blog post. Um, in 2020, retail returns produced nearly six billion pounds of waste. Some of that is packaging, but much of it is returned product that can't be resold. In those cases, resellers and retailers faced with an unmanageable flood of returns are known to incinerate return inventory or dump it in landfills. Retailers who fail to address the problem not only bear responsibility for the waste, but risk alienating customers. Uh, You think? Although the customers, out of sight, out of mind, you know, pop it back in, hey, not my responsibility, and that is, you know, whether it's a packaging or the the product itself or what ultimately happens to it. Um, so that's, um, that's, that's Not kind to of mention everything that making it. Yeah. All the resources to produce it. Yep. Um, all right. Here's some good news. And this one, and I'm sorry, I, you know, I'm going all, I'm all over the place here because, uh, I didn't even have that one in the, in the blog, uh, Post. No, I had to go find it quickly. I, it, I know. It's like, you don't, it, I, I, I forgot. Right now. <laughs> hey, listen, on a Saturday when I'm putting these together and I've already got 10 stories I'm putting down there and then, and I realize, oh, wait, there was this other one. And then I'm sending you, well, here's one I yeah. sent you at the last you second. And I get on the phone and we're like, yeah, what about, what about, what about? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Let's talk about 1500 stories in, in the 25 minutes that we have. Uh, all right. Well, this is good news. Uh, Xerxes reports, the Xerxes Society, and I can hear myself uh, coming back through your whatever. Um, they, um, a surprising turn of events uh, for the Western monarch, 247,000 monarch butterflies observed across Western overwintering sites and over 100-fold increase from last year. Well, you got to remember that last year, they basically weren't there. There was like, what, yeah. 2,000? Um, and now it's up to 247,000. Uh, however, here's the, the flip side of that. The population re- remains more than 95% below its size in the 1980s when low millions were observed most years. Um, the years total both, and this is Xerxes Society writing, the, the years total both amazed us with the monarch's ability to bounce up from a record low and underscores the importance of ongoing conservation efforts to recover the Western monarch butterfly population. So, and you texting me there, Peggy? No. Oh, okay. Somebody else did then. Okay. I thought maybe that was... Uh... No, I'm putting up the link to the uh, Xerxes Society. Oh, great. Okay. So that's good news, but 
if you look at the chart and the numbers from 1997, there were more than 1,200,000. So um, it's it's good to hear that. Uh, it's going up and not further down. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So uh, we'll we'll keep an eye on that because we still haven't had the numbers from Mexico with the Eastern mm -hmm. population uh, yeah. is coming back into the States. That usually doesn't come out till about later February, I think. Yeah. All right. You know what? I haven't checked this morning on this story that I sent you and you hadn't heard this and I was just kind of blown away by it. And it was uh, uh, going on in Texas. If uh, uh, here we go, Texas. Oh, that one. Yeah, the butterfly wow. sanctuary down there. Um, I watched that video. Wow. <laughs> which video did you watch? I'm sorry. The YouTube videos that the article had. of. Uh, oh, okay. Yeah. And I see Rick has just sent us a morning update, so maybe I should just turn you loose while I download <laughs> some stuff from Rick. Uh, uh, no, okay. But, uh, but uh, yeah, I saw this. It's really tricky for me because I'm running the show in a private browser window. It's the only way I'm on the show so i'm like flipping back and forth between we gotta know what's going there. on over there i want that sounds like a an an odd and interesting technical problem um the uh, national butterfly center announced friday that it would shutter until sunday due to credible threats regarding activities planned during the three-day we stand america rally in the neighboring border town of McAllen. um the closure comes one week after a right-wing congressional candidate from Virginia, of all places, accused the center staff of being okay with children being trafficked um, and mistreated. And uh, it has to do with the fact that they're on the Rio Grande and the nut jobs down there think that they're smuggling immigrants across the border and that the whole butterfly thing is a scam except it's the most diverse butterfly um, conservation area in the entire country yeah. um, uh, and so they just shut down they said no we're not going to put our staff at risk uh, they were apparently a target they were going to be a destination for some of these people yeah so it says uh, the daily beast said on January 21st, um, Marianne Wright at the Butterfly Sanctuary uh, was on a conference call, and two women were on the property demanding her son open a gate so they could go see, quote, illegals crossing on rafts. Um, the women said they were a congressional candidate and a Secret Service agent. And this whole thing was captured on, of course, social media. Yeah. It was long-shot congressional candidate Kimberly Lowe. And uh, the National Butterfly Center closed. Did you say, wait, wait, long shot, long shot candidate? Yeah, it's always the fringe candidates that are. That, that, that's what the Daily Beast calls her. Yeah. Long shot national candidate. I love it. Oh, boy. All right, here's a, here, here's a headline um, on a slightly but not quite. I don't know if this is a slightly lighter note or not. Um, this was in uh, trees.com. Uh, Gen Z, oh, yeah. Generation Z, <laughs> bought house plants to improve mental health during pandemic. Stress and dead plants result instead. <laughs> okay, so it's basically just telling us that 
if you've never grown a plant before, you, there's a learning curve. Um, yeah, I, I think I knew that. Um, I like this in the, in the story. Seven in ten Gen Zers killed plants. <laughs> yeah, but guess what? Uh, boomers kill plants, too. I've been known yeah, to, yeah. you know, uh, everybody kills plants. Anybody who's owned plants has killed plants. And this is like uh, all of my friends who have plants uh, who are listening know this. The learning uh, curve. Uh, absolutely. And I know that uh, Dan Costa is going to say that. Um, and uh, you just got commented or, or complimented by Skeet on your computer skills. Oh, hey, you. hey, Skeet, I'm driving this ship, okay? I'm piloting the shuttlecraft here. I'm piloting SpaceX here, and you're giving Peggy... <laughs> the compliment thanks dude um oh and 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 michael says did you see did you see nova's program on butterflies no i did not um send the link send the link yeah pop the link up there if you can yeah i I, I thought this whole article was kind of odd it's like well basically the article was just about statistics okay that's that's the deal and and sandra is saying she has a peace lily that's struggling Okay. Um, Reasons peace lilies struggle. They love water. So you got to keep them that you got to keep more water in the peace lily than in many plants. Um, uh, Okay. Now, Dan Costa says they buy plants and kill them. Then it's the, Oh, okay. (laughs) They, they buy, they buy plants and kill them. Then it's the greenhouse fault, not them. Well, yeah, we understand. I know you work there. Plant owners in different age groups deal with sick and dying plants differently. Gen Z plant parents are twice as likely as those 25 and older to return unhealthy plants to the nursery where they're purchased by a rate of 24% to 13%. However, Uh, both groups let sick plants die at a similar rate. Yeah. So everybody just let them die. Well, it's just an odd group of stats. I don't know what they were yeah, trying it's, to Yeah, it's a bunch of stats uh, about plants. And, and basically, they're pointing out that a lot of people decided to get through the pandemic by bringing in plants because it would relieve their stress. But instead, they killed the plants and it increased their stress. Um, what can I tell you? But what about the plants that did survive? If you kept the, Doesn't that plant make you happy? Doesn't that plant give you satisfaction? Uh, but let's get back to... Um, uh, real quick, I'll, I'll, let's do, see if we can do a real quick analysis here. Sandra, you said your peace lily is struggling. Um, I have a peace lily, uh, that, and I've talked about it on this show. I have it in a pot that does not have drainage holes, which is, folks, don't try this at home. I'm a professional. Uh, I can do it, but you can't. Um, but the reason I did this is because I know peace lilies like moisture, and you can tell a peace lily starts to droop. When it doesn't have enough moisture. Now, have you overwatered it? It's possible you could overwater it as, as well. And that's why you have to be real careful if you d- did what I did. You should always have drainage holes in a pot. Okay? Let me just say that. Especially if you're a, uh, a Gen Z and you, you've not grown stuff before. Always have a drainage hole in the pot. But I'm, I'm surprised because peace lilies generally, you water them and turn them loose. And they don't even need a lot of light. Um, so, I, um, uh, Sandra, send me more information. Oh, there we go. And how long have you had that? 
a few years. And and the piece slowly I got, this is a really great story. Um, I got it from a friend of mine who was in Mila and, um, and was on my show back when I was at Gargantua Radio, down the dial, the very first show after 9-11, when I came back on and was like, really nervous and he brought a peace lily to the program uh and it was ken from uh, mila and ken benson thank you i give uh. myself okay who who used to teach uh on the west side so um uh yeah ken benson great guy and um uh and i still have that peace lily it's it's rocking it's doing great all right. Do we have mm-hmm. t- uh, thirty seconds or a minute for one more? Um, so Dan says, "Peace, Lily, close to a bright window, keep soil mo- moist. Do not fertilize if it is not healthy." Yeah, that's that's a really good thing. Oh, I know. I also, um, this, yeah, this plant goes in the shower every week. It, it, I just take it, stick it really? in warm water bath in the shower. Totally let the water run through it, clean the dust off the leaves. It's a happy, happy camper. And I would tell uh, Sandra, look to see if you've got, uh, do an inspection on the leaves and in the, uh, all over, front and back and underneath and upside and see if you've got any insect or disease issues with it. I Can I, uh, and, and Dan, I, I want to say to Dan Costa, I, I, I do have mine upstairs by a window, but it's in a dark room. And I've had it in dark places, and they tend to do okay. Um, that, they're right. not real fussy about light. Is At least that's what I've found. Yes. Well, I had this one in my office, which is, it's a Western exposure, but it wasn't catching a lot of light. And I moved it to an Eastern exposure window, and it started doing a whole lot better. Mm-hmm. Oh, I know what we need to say before we, we break here, because you're going to see it in this break, is that we're very pleased oh, yeah. that, that the One Earth Film Festival is back this year um, and, and, and a sponsor on the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. And uh, you're going to get to see the film, first film trailer. Uh, with their, their festival is coming up. In fact, you can see their, uh, their logo there in the, in the lower right-hand corner as it pops up. Um, and I want to make sure that... Come on. There it is. Uh, yeah. Uh, and I'm trying to, I want to make sure I got the, the dates right. So I'm popping up the, uh, the website real quick here. Cause I didn't have this in front of me. And of course it's Sandra's giving us kudos for one earth film festival or, or giving one earth film festival kudos, not us, but, um, yeah, of course. And boys, it's having a hard time loading here. This is not good. Um, great. That's not, that's not uh, helping well, that's me. Just, there we are. Right off. <laughs> yeah, it is March 4th through the 13th. Um, and also the Evanston Environmental Association is having their film festival, I believe, the weekend after uh, the One Earth Film Festival. And we're probably going to be part of that as well. So what you'll get to see the first trailer of the year, some great films coming up in the festival. Uh, we hope you enjoy it. Uh, stick around. Meteorologist Rick DeMaio is next. Tongass is so big, it almost defies description. Thousands of miles of coastline, hundreds of islands, and trees. 11 million acres worth of Sitka spruce, western hemlock, and Alaska cedar. All the wildlife that lives there belongs to you and me. This is a renewable resource that should be utilized and managed correctly. 
If I was doing it myself, I'd cut the old growth timber. It's dying anyway. President Trump and Republican lawmakers want to tear down parts of what is known as America's Amazon. The move would affect more than half of the world's largest intact temperate rainforest. Ground truthing is this really incredible way to just understand a landscape by being in it. We are literally standing in one of the largest carbon reserves in the world. This forest is not a renewable resource. It's just, it's depressing to see it still happening. The reality is, is that it's industrial size, clear-cut logging. Those logs are also costing us money to come off of our public lands. We're actually paying to have this done. We're always fighting to protect our ancestral land. And we shouldn't have to beg for clean water. We shouldn't have to beg for clean air. We shouldn't have to beg to let trees stand. We continue to choose to cut down these trees, largely because most Americans don't know that this place exists. From spring seed and soil treatments to summer foliar feeding to fall stubble digesters, Blazing Star provides microbial tools from tiny biologicals for natural and organic farmers. They have solutions for home gardeners too. And Blazing Star offers agroecological education and consulting, especially for permaculture work in zones four and five. Learn more about these great folks at blazing-star.com. And welcome back to the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. Rick, I am furiously downloading the stuff you sent to me uh, a few minutes ago, so we'll have that up uh, in short order. But before we get to that, I want to show you something that you're going to find very cool. This is this is from uh, 1958. Uh, I'm, wow. I think, it, yeah, uh, check it out. Extremely dangerous questions, because with our present knowledge, we have no idea what would happen. Even now, man may be unwittingly changing the world's climate through the waste products of his civilization. Due to our release through factories and automobiles every year of more than six billion tons of carbon dioxide, which helps air absorb heat from the sun, our atmosphere seems to be getting warmer. This is bad. Well, it's been calculated a few degrees rise in the Earth's temperature would melt the polar ice caps. And if this happens, an inland sea would fill a good portion of the Mississippi Valley. Tourists in glass-bottomed boats would be viewing the drowned towers of Miami through 150 feet of tropical water. Foreign weather were not only dealing with forces of a far greater variety than even the atomic physicist encounters, 
but with life itself. There you go. Frank I've Capra. seen that before. You have? Well, that's Frank Capra. Yeah, Frank Capra. Isn't that amazing? Um, and and yeah. then and the uh, the uh, the goddess thing, um, the uh, unchained goddess, is is a thing about weather. And this is just the end of that that whole thing. Yeah. Uh, but the idea that uh, and somebody has done an edit on it to um, represent the whole climate change thing, which some well scientists knew that this was possible. 60, mm-hmm. 70 years ago. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, and, and that was actually um, part of that was featured on one of Al Gore's films a few years ago. Uh, but I think I think Sven Gulli should just do that whole thing next Saturday, don't you think? <laughs> the, 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 the what whole thing next Saturday? I'm sorry. Sven Gulli should just have show that whole movie next, next Saturday. Oh, okay. Okay. Why not? All right. Is Sven Gulli still yeah. on? Oh, yeah. I had yeah. no idea. Oh, oh yeah. I'm sorry, just, I had no idea. Sat, just, uh, okay, well, there's, there's some rubber chickens at you, Mike. That's all. You know? Oh, gosh. Right. I, mean, I mean, just, I wasn't, I didn't get a chance to watch it yesterday. I was kind of busy, but uh, <laughs> last week was was an attack of the uh, the killer tarantula. I mean, it was just, it was really it was fascinating. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, the kind of stuff. That that makes you go to bed that night as a kid, and you're always like pulling the covers over your head, yeah. thinking that that's that that's that you happen. tried to well, kill the day before is going to grow really big and kill you. Mm-hmm. The, the one, one that, that used to really freak me out as a little kid was them, which is the one with the giant ants. Yeah, and you know, and, and Peg, do you, know, do you know who actually played uh, the scientist in that movie? You know who know who that actor was. The no. same guy, Fred Gwynn, who played, I think it was Fred Gwynn, the same guy who played Santa oh, Claus in Miracle on Street. What's that? Well, it uh, wasn't, okay, so the older Gwynn, okay, senior, Fred Gwynn, senior. Yeah, no, I was, I, was, I, I made a mistake there, Fred Gwynn, uh, but the guy who played Santa Claus in Miracle on 34th Street also played the scientist in the movie Them, and he was talking about how if man continues to play around with radioactive material this is going to be you know the end result which is giant ants that have wings because you do have flying ants and they go into the um uh, sewer system of los angeles and scare the bejesus out of us so i i believe <laughs> it or not I, I just, yeah the <laughs> ch- 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 yeah uh, i i love all of those movies that um people took science and just kind of twisted them a little bit and said, don't fool around with Mother Nature. And eventually we had a commercial about margin around it as, as well, right? Remember that? Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's not yeah. nice to fool with Mother Nature. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, and then what, did, and what was the future of margin after that? Um, you know, <laughs> I have, margarine, right? I, I don't know, because I haven't used it in years. So I don't even think it exists. Oh, yeah. I think it but does. But by the way, uh, before we go any further, I was just checking temperatures in Florida where my parents are. Yeah. This is pretty serious. Oh, it was 25 degrees this morning, 25. And not Yikes. only was it 25, but it was like literally 28 degrees for almost six hours. You got a hard freeze going. I mean, Yikes. this is the kind of stuff that they had, you know, back in the, um, uh, the late seventies when everybody pulled up their orange crops um, and said, you know what, we're done. So the fact that you're able to get, you know, that cold of a temperature for that long, uh, that's pretty serious stuff. So I'm looking at it right now, 27 this, degrees from eight. The 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 graphic what? I got this this is what you sent me last night. So this is what they were forecasting, right? right? 
this, this is more so for southern Florida, but I'm looking at central Florida, um, and there were areas that made it to 28 degrees at about 3 a.m. and stayed that way until 8 a.m. You're talking about five hours of readings below 28 degrees, and all you really need is four hours, and you have yourself not only in a hard freeze, but a killing freeze. So anything that was left outside, um, any flowers, any bushes, um, those things are all toast. And I know that they don't grow as many oranges in that area as they used to. They've moved a lot of them to California um, and the parts of, I believe, Arizona. I'm not too exact, exactly sure where those orange grows have been have now gone. Uh, but the place where my parents live um, in the villages, that was once all orange grows. And after two successive years of freezes, the, the, <clears throat> basically the farmers left and the land was just sitting there to be purchased. And it eventually was and has now become the largest retirement community um, in the United States. So uh, climate back then, which was a little bit more variable from a standpoint of cold, um, allowed us to figure out what to do with that land other than to put oranges on it. But this, yeah. was, this was without doubt one of the coldest air masses to move into uh, Florida in about 15 years. Pretty amazing yeah, stuff. I don't know wow. if you saw this, uh, this video from the Everglades this morning. It's just something else. It's just crazy. I don't know. Yeah, yeah the, the Everglades on the Everglades on LSD, right? Yeah, I guess. Okay. Anyway, but, by the way, real quickly, um, I did about a ten or fifteen minute interview uh, with two students from the Northwestern uh, Medill School of Journalism on the formation of pancake ice. I oh, could really? not believe how many, yeah, I could not believe how many questions they were asking me about pancake ice and the structure of ice and. You know, do we see more of it? Do we see less of it? How does that affect shipping? How does that affect uh, the shoreline? Um, and and what was so funny about it is they had gone down to Oak Street Beach like the day before uh, the interview to film it. And they go, wow, it's all gone. What happened to them? Like, well, the southwest wind blew it out into the lake. Uh, but I think it's going to come back tomorrow. Um, and then we're going to have some really good lake effect snow. And it's going to be here for a couple of days on Saturday and Sunday, but you better get your B-roll before it gets windy and warm again on Monday and Tuesday. And then the response from the student was, wow, weather was really unpredictable around here. I'm like, I just gave you a detailed five-day forecast. I don't think it's unpredictable <laughs> at, at all, just you know, really where the details are. Uh, but this was a student from Virginia who had never been in Chicago for a winter. Ah. Um, and, boy did we, and boy did Northwestern get walloped with that lake effect snow on um, uh, on Friday. Wasn't that something? Oh, my goodness. Um, we were uh, at Ground Zero as well here in um, Logan Square. Uh, I want to find that graphic that you sent me. This is pretty uh, interesting. Here we go. And and yeah, and this this was this was just posted by the um, weather service uh, yesterday afternoon, and there's actually a more detailed one that shows exactly where that band is. Uh, so basically, Mike, you were probably on the southwest part of Ground Zero. I was in Ground Zero, so where I am, um, we had about eight inches of snow. But this is amazing. I drove yesterday out to Glenview. I had to do a, a talk, an FAA talk. When I got up to about um, central, you can see there was two more inches of snow. When I got a little bit further west, you can see there was like two more inches of snow. It literally was like by neighborhood to neighborhood to neighborhood. And then I got out to about um, western side of Glenview, 
it was maybe six inches of snow. And then I was out at the Allstate Arena last night, and it was maybe three inches of snow, which is obviously right near O'Hare. So I literally went like around the northern edge. And I know, Peg, up where you were, you got about four or five inches. Am I right about that? No, I got about two, barely. Okay, two, because I know Highland Park got five. So you must yeah, have been so just north. The south end must have gotten it, yeah. Yeah. Because I'm yeah, further north. But, so to the Botanic yeah, Gardens probably got more. Yeah. Yeah, I think right around the Botanic Gardens got more. Um, but what was really amazing was, you know, when I when I talked to the Weather Service, you know, Friday morning, I got up at about five, went out, took a snow report. It was about three inches. I called mm-hmm. that in. And they said, this, this helps because the band started to set up south, and then it moved north. And then when I'm leaving at about 7.30, it started snowing like crazy. We already had another two inches, and easily we were on track for at least six to eight inches. Um, and when I called in again in the afternoon, because I gave them reports like every three hours, you can hear the guy was like excited that they got the snow, but upset that the band moved, you know, 20 or 30 miles further to the west. I go, but yeah, but this was based on your prediction the day before. Mesoscale snow events are always going to be kind of hard. So don't beat yourself over the head. This was actually a good forecast um, that they put out, you know, 24 hours out. People knew what was going to happen. I don't think you heard anybody really crying and screaming. And it's also the kind of snow that um, doesn't impact such a wide area. So it's fairly easy to clean. And when I got downtown that, that morning, there was not more than one inch on the ground on the, on the corner of Belmont and Lakeshore Drag. Literally, we were in between the bands. And by the time I got down to Columbia College, it was about four. So lake effect snow was always going to be like that. But what's most amazing about this, Mike and Peg, is we got 10 inches of snow out of literally 0.04 inches of water. This was like a forty-five to one ratio yeah. event. There's like fluff. no liquid in this. Yeah. yeah, fluff. And if you think about it, you know, before we talked last Sunday, the ground was green. We had no snow in the ground. We got that four inches on Sunday. We got two on Monday, and then we finished up with three to ten, if you want to think about that, on Friday. So in a matter of seven days. This area of Cook County, literally the northeastern part of literally from Highland Park southward, some areas got almost 16 to 18 inches of snow, which is remarkable. But if you went to areas, you know, maybe far north or south, um, you got like maybe half, if not a quarter of that. So it was a lot of snow in a short amount of time, but it shows you just how quickly sometimes um, winter can kind of do a little bit of a pivot. Well, and he also it shows you how how uh, specific winter can be because that narrow band, and you know if you're out, we're out in DuPage, um, or Kane County, yeah, very you didn't see much at all. Uh, and and there yeah, we were, and I went out, out and I, and and I, of course I didn't even have to shovel my steps; it was just a broom. It just exactly that's pretty much what it was. Yeah. And I go out there and, and I then start, it evaporated. It, yeah, it, yeah. It was coming it, down, it, it and really, I was pretty quickly. Yeah, yeah. It was very fluffy, and and I went out and I saw it end, and I went out and started sweeping. And of course, another band came in, and it started falling very <laughs> yeah. rapidly. I said, "Okay, I'm just going to wait until I see sun for a while, and then I know that the uh, the plume has left our area and moved south to yeah. Lake Lake County, Indiana." You know, a good a good way to compare that snow with the snow that just occurred on the East Coast, 
there were many locations from Boston south to about Cape May down to the Delmarva Peninsula uh, that got about two inches of liquid water. And further north, um, you were easily getting, um, it is New York City, further north you were easily getting snow falling um, in air temperatures of like 20 degrees. Further to the south, especially over the Cape, uh, Cape Cod it is, air temperatures were about 30 to 31, 32 degrees. So if you were to take in our 40 to 1 ratio and put it into the amount of liquid that Boston got, you would have had 80 inches of snow. Yikes. But still Boston, yeah, Logan Airport had 23.8 inches of snow. This is going mm-hmm. down, I think, in one of their top five snows of all time. But in addition to that, incredible amount of wind, uh, like literally all the way from Maine down to about almost um, the eastern North Carolina coast. Um, you literally had a snowfall of over 20, of 15 to 20 inches, an incredibly high amount of wind. So this, this again is one of those events that shows you just how narrow, you know, some of these heavy snow bands could be. So this is obviously New York City. Uh, so uh, Peggy said this, uh, and, I, and you saw it too. I thought this was a pretty interesting graphic. And uh, it was, and, and basically, it is on the dangers of trying to predict weather too far out. <laughs> That's what they're talking about here. Yeah, and this was was this from the the Chicago office, Peg? I haven't seen this yet yeah. on their the site. Chicago office had it on its uh, Twitter Twitter feed yesterday. And yeah, I think it was on their Twitter because I didn't see this on their website. Um, but to be honest with you, I think you got to be really careful about putting stuff like this out, because I understand that now um, there's so much easy access to long-range forecasts that if, if you're the person who is in charge of giving the official forecast, the last thing you want is someone doing it before you. I mean, I, I, I get that. I get that. So what the Weather Service doesn't want is people building a narrative that then they have to agree with. So what ends up happening is you end up not forecasting the science, but you forecasting what the public is expecting you to forecast. And and that's like that's like hearing all the chatter outside the West Wing, and eventually you agree with the chatter, even though that's not what your policy is. So while the Weather Service, I think, is right in doing something like this, don't make it public. Because now what happens is if we do end up getting a storm system that's going to produce, you know, 12 to 18 inches of snow, now you have to kind of backtrack. Because what this is saying here is that we don't yet agree with that based on the fact that it's still something that's really, you know, too far out in advance, which I totally get. And I think everybody understands that. But if you come out and say that, it, it makes you look like, you don't think it's going to happen because there's not enough data. But I think everybody in the weather service knows that that still could happen, but you still got to be like, you know, you don't, you don't, you don't show your cards. So to say huh. is, is what's yeah. going on. There. Well, but, but um, as of this morning, they're still saying as of this morning, right now, two punch winter weather Tuesday through Thursday, but they're saying we're looking at a threat Northern scenario southern scenario and they're still totally hedging their bets uh, you really can't yeah and and i and i think yeah no i i could definitely see what you're saying there and and they're right because 
so far, the GFS is always a little bit further north. The European is always a little bit further south. Um, and oftentimes you meet somewhere in the middle. I actually sent you guys some stuff as well that shows that it's going to be more of a southern track. But you know what? I have seen times before where all of a sudden the last six hours of that wave that moves through gets a little bit of an energy, you know, kink mm-hmm. to the north. And you'll end up getting, you know, a four to six inch snowfall. And this is not going to be just a one, two punch. I think it's going to be a one, two, three punch because you're going to have a large area of overrunning precip. This is Tuesday's map. So Tuesday, we're fine. Tuesday, it's just basically warm, moist air moving over to snow cover. And the Wednesday map shows that, quote, baroclinic zone with where the front is from, say, Arkansas through southern Illinois. That's really far south. So the snow, as you can see, is basically going to be like a St. Louis to maybe South Bend type of scenario. So you're going to get the overrunning on Wednesday. The wave over Texas does promote another band of heavier snow south of us Wednesday night into Thursday. But then there's going to be lake effect. Yeah, that's the thing that's going to be Wednesday night into Thursday. Then there's going to be lake effect or lake enhancement Thursday night into Friday. So we can conceivably get snow Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, even if you don't get 10 to 12 or 14 inches, but you just get three days of snow and six to eight inches of snow, yeah. and you got snow on the ground already, it's miserable. So you, you, you almost have to play the perspective that if people hear that there's going to be a lot of snow on top of snow, play it up, but then kind of edge your bets or hedge your bets where it's like, there's two possibilities, one to the north and one to the south, and we're looking at both. But when you come right out and say, this is why we don't do things five days in advance, eh, you, you sound like a party pooper at that point. <laughs> I, I, think that, I, I think that's when you kind of hold back a little bit. You, you really do. And I, and I totally get where they're coming from. I really do. But, um, and, and, and I worked with meteorologists who were cheerleaders about snow. And they were like, let's see what the models are saying now. And others were like, I hate snow. I don't want to forecast. So what begins to happen is your emotions begin to take over and you become less of a scientist and more of like someone who's just saying, yeah, but it's not going to happen because of this, blah, blah, blah. And it has nothing to do with science. It's just they don't want the snow. So it's, yeah, it's the tricky thing about so meteorologists. I was going to say the WGN meteorologists. So, so far the WGN meteorologists have not been calling it either. They're just like something's going to happen, but we don't know what. Right. And and what's interesting is Skilling has been off this week. And if yeah. he was on, he would probably be saying, by the way, there's something in the computer models that looks really interesting. And he'll, he knows how to tease it. And then he pulls it back mm-hmm. in. So he teases it and he pulls yeah. it back in. But, um, uh, but uh, I will say two things. Peggy, first, send me what you just sent me on the text. Send it in an email so that I can post it here. Okay. Um, and the other is, I kind of agree with the what the National Weather Service is doing. What they're trying to say, Rick, is something that you've said before to me and to, to our audience, which is when you start forecasting five to seven days out, you're, you know, you're, you're playing God a little bit, and, and you're often going to be wrong because things can change. I just sent it yeah, to you. I, I, okay. Yeah, and, and, and I, but if, if, you, if you read through their, um, if you read through their post, I think Peg had said in there, what's all the fuss about? So when I saw that, that I was like, oh. 
right? They say that, right? What's all the fuss about? Yeah, that's this morning. This is what's all the fuss about next week. Let's break it down. It's not this one, Peggy. Is it this one, Peggy? No, it's the one I just sent you. Oh, okay. Just let me pop that up. All right. I'll find it. So we're looking at hear that. Yeah. Yeah. So when you hear someone say, what's all the fuss about? You're basically coming at it from an angle of why are you getting so upset about, not upset about this or, or concerned about this? There's lots of things that can still not happen. I don't know if put it this way. If, if, if you, if this would be the week before Christmas, don't you think the height, the headline would be, Hey, look, everybody, we're monitoring what could be the possibilities for a white Christmas, right? Yeah. They, they would be approaching it from that. But when you, when you approach it from what's all the fuss about, it's like, I don't know. You just, I, I think sometimes, and, and it's so hard in this business to remain objective, but as soon as you begin to slide one way or the other, you almost have to bring yourself back and pivot. And, and they've done studies where if they have like four or five um, shifts, like a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, and then they have to forecast an event on a Friday, you can see that, that trends and perception of what could or could not happen becomes part of the forecast. And then if you bring someone in on a Thursday forecasted for a Friday and they're looking at everything for the first time, they're going to be much more objective because they're just looking at the data and not going, now I have to go with what the guy on Channel 5 posted tonight <laughs> because – and it's true. Uh, I think now I've got my graphics. My yeah, graphics got to get re- <laughs> right. Someone from channel someone from channel five, I think, actually posted something, you know, this could be a big storm. And and I've seen it I saw this even last week on Twitter where someone said, I know I shouldn't be doing this, but the long range models are showing a potential blizzard on the East Coast. And the you know, the models went back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, and eventually they pulled it just close enough where it was a blizzard. But you can see the person when they did it, they're like I want to be first, but I don't want to be wrong. You know what I'm yeah. saying? So it, it's it's kind of tough from that side. But you know what? This is this is the fun part of being in in the weather business this time of the year, especially when you haven't had a lot of snow and all of a sudden you're getting it. You kind of want to be the first, but again, you also want to be right. And, and they it's were... Groundhog Day, so there you go. Oh, that's right. We've got Groundhog Day coming up uh, this week. I but it's snowstorms. Groundhog Day snowstorms. Yeah, I'm still right. trying to. Yeah, we've got we've got a few of those, haven't we? Yeah, the graphic just refuses Did to it? come into my Gmail. Uh, That's... So, uh, oh, but, yeah, it well, it's it's shown up on my other. It's Gmail is slow. I don't know what why. It, oh, it just takes minutes and minutes and minutes for something to show up in the Gmail. So if it gets here, I'll pop the, that graphic on. But we're we're almost out of time anyway. So let's. What do you think is going to happen this week, Rick? You think it's going to go south of us? Um, I think we're going to have three days of snow, um, depending on whether you're north or south. I think further north, you'll probably get one to two, one to two. And if you're close to the lake, you'll probably get two to three. So there'll be a discussion next Saturday on how little bits of snow over the course of three days added up to a lot of snow, um, particularly near the lake, because the lake right now is wide open. Um, Even though the Great Lakes, last I checked, were about 24 percent covered with ice which is about normal for this time of the year 
Lake Michigan is largely uncovered. Most of that ice coverage is in eastern Lake Superior, eastern Lake Huron, and much of Lake Erie. But Lake, Lake Michigan is always one of the last lakes to get covered uh, with ice because we have so much. We're, we're so far south. We're, we're always have, uh, we always have to worry about the southwest winds, takes the ice, blows it in the lake, pushes it back, all, the, all that stuff. So the fact that the lake is open allows you to have lake effect snow. And that was a perfect setup the other day. Cold enough air, light northeast winds. This event coming through, the intake is going to be part of that lake effect event. Um, and then depending on how that second wave comes out of the Rocky Mountains will really depend on whether or not we get um, on the northern edge of that snow. But if you notice, the two, two of the graphics that I sent you, when you get to them, um, one is basically the forecast for snow over the next five days. And then I went overboard and I said, look, Remember me talking about this last week in my report. I said that we're get, we're heading into a situation or a pattern adjustment where the clippers that were coming through took the main trough and kind of shifted it just far enough west. Where now we're in this literally um, a, a, a zone like a highway of these waves coming through, waves coming through, waves coming through, and literally between now and the next probably fifteen to twenty days. You're looking at easily two or three snows a week that could easily bring us probably 30 inches of snow in some parts of the Midwest um, over the next over the next two weeks. We are in a bit of a drought right now, and the areas to the south of us, southern and central Illinois and western Indiana, have had literally one inch of snow this entire winter. Mm-hmm. So the fact that they're going to get the snow, which is good, they need it. Uh, but I I think we're going to be at least see a fair amount of warming here uh, today, tomorrow, probably low to mid thirties uh, Tuesday, probably low to mid forties. But with that also a lot of clouds, a lot of fog, a lot of drizzle, just about everything we have out there is probably going to turn to slush because as Peg pointed out, it's a very, very dry snow. Um, yeah. So when I'm done with you guys, I'm walking a block and I'm going to go ice skating. I have my hockey stick and my puck. I'm going to play a little ice hockey. And then hopefully if I can get, some cross-country skiing, and tomorrow um, I'm going to do that because I didn't get a chance to do it yesterday, and most of this stuff is going to turn to either mush on Tuesday or rain and then freezing conditions, which will be ice on Wednesday ice and Thursday. And if, you recall, yeah, if you recall last year when we got the snow early, the snow was terrible, and then we got all that you know mush on top of it. The cross-country skiing last season was like about maybe two weeks. Yeah, um, and it's yeah. one of my favorite and then things it to do. Away. Yeah, yeah. By the time we got to, I think the end of February it was all gone. It was the quickest yeah. evaporation and melting of twenty inches of snow I've ever seen in my life. So, um, hey, a month from now it's the end of February and almost March, right? How quickly things go. And the day the sunset is after five o'clock already. So, woohoo! Okay, well, uh, yeah. get out to. That was Thursday, right? Was that Thursday, Peg? Thursday or Friday, yeah. Yeah, Thursday or Friday, yeah. So um, everything is looking up at this point. <laughs> All right. Get out to a forest preserve. We were talking earlier to uh, folks from uh, Cook County and uh, Lake County Forest Preserves. That would be a great place to do some. It, it, they were talking about uh, skiing out at the uh, Lake County Forest Preserves. They've got – what's that new uh, vehicle called, Peggy, that uh, allows them to – It's a groomer, but it's a two-trail a, two a groomer. groomer. Yeah. So they've got a two-track up there. 
they've been using them up there. Well, so I'm I'm uh, I'm teaching on campus at Oakton Community College tomorrow for the first time in two years. I'll be on campus. Wow. wow. Um, and I'm bringing my skis. So when I'm done with my two classes, I put on my skis. I literally walk from my car to the trail, which is right there. And I'll be doing skiing. There's great trails uh, in that particular area. The hard, the hard thing is, is on your skis walking across Golf Road and hoping people stop. <laughs> <laughs> right. Otherwise, I had to be... do that once. I'm like, can you guys like I'm slow down? Somebody will go. Is that? Wait, wait. Is that a deer? No, it's Rick DeMaio. All right. So <laughs> then they'll gun it at that point. <laughs> exactly. He got that forecast wrong. Get him. All right. Uh, All right. Thanks, Rick. Have uh, enjoy your skiing. We'll talk to you Hello. next week. Take care, guys. All right. Bye-bye. Oh, okay. Well, let's just get out of here and thank all the folks who were on the show today. Yanina Baki, sometimes known as Nina Baki, and Rebecca Snyder. Um, Nina's from the Forest Preserve District of Cook County. Rebecca from the Lake County Forest Preserve District. Um, Rick DeMaio, of course, meteorologist. Our thanks to Kathleen. Our thanks to uh, Basil the dog, Legata the cat. Uh, you want to throw anybody else in there? Thanks uh, that I got some uh, snow. Everybody who thanks to everybody who donated to Bell Prairie. Right. Go, if you haven't subscribed, go subscribe and if you'll get $5 committed. Until next time, go green or go home. Yes, it's over. How'd you like it? I don't know. I slept through the whole thing. Well, you didn't miss much.